Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my genuinely amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally, this podcast really is a must-listen. So whether you are tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. And I'm excited. My feet are cold and I'm all happy. I know that's nobody cares about that, but when I'm cold, I'm really happy. I live in the deep south. We don't get this very often. But today I am delighted to welcome back Cynthia Covey Howler. And she is the author of Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Now, this book was co-authored with her late father, the legendary leadership expert Stephen R. Covey. And this book marks the concluding chapter or as Cynthia shared with me, a transformative final journey. Excuse me. It goes just beyond enriching. It goes beyond, I'm sorry. It goes beyond just enriching lives. It's a powerful testament to a family legacy, which is grounded in wisdom and shared purpose. And together, they crafted a story that spans generation, leaving an enduring impact on the legacy of wisdom and inspiration. So this is what happened. After the show wrapped up, the flood of fantastic questions and insights was really overwhelming, so overwhelming, in fact, that Cynthia is joining me again today to delve into them. And given the abundance of wonderful contributions, excuse me, it's likely that we won't be able to cover all of them in the hour that we have. So to ensure every valuable question gets addressed, I'll be posting a blog with the questions and Cynthia's responses after the show. So stay tuned for an extended dialogue beyond the broadcast. Cynthia, welcome back. It is so good to see you here. Thanks so much, Denise. I'm thrilled. This is the first time I've been invited back two times in a row. So that's awesome. Thank you for oh, having me. Well, I'm glad <laughs> to have been the one to make that happen. Listen, I have this book. And as we were talking in what I call the virtual green room, you sent me the book and you sent me a wonderful note that goes with it. I've read it multiple times. Uh, I mean, it's one of those. Well, I'll pay you later. Just (laughs) five bucks. You'll be five bucks. But the thing is, I have, I mean, I have hundreds of books in this room, which is my office, and all of them were gifted by my authors who are my podcast guests as well. And there is one particular shelf where books that I have read again and again and again live. And as soon as I put this book back down again today, it's going to go back on that shelf. It's permanent. It's a permanent spot. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your support of this material, which uh, my father and I believed in a lot. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share more about it. I'm I'm glad you are too, because I'm when you were here last, it's like, I can't ask her enough questions. I mean, I was just like, <gasps> and I was trying to kind of rush through it because I really did. I wanted people to understand the importance of this book, Living in Crescendo, Crescendo. 
my feet are cold, y'all. I'm going to stutter. <laughs> I'm going to warn you right now. So, Cynthia, let's. We've got so many questions, and I don't want to get in the way. So, you've got a list of them, and I'm going to go ahead and share the first one. And then, if you would, we'll just kind of go back and forth and answer as many of these as we can. Sure, I'm happy to. Right. Okay. The first one is. Can you share a personal antidote or story from your own life that illustrates one of the key principles discussed in the book? You bet. Well, um, in the book, um, I pretty much start out with this example. Um, As I look back on my childhood, this stands out to me. I'm the oldest of nine kids. And so you can imagine uh, with that many my parents did an amazing job getting around to all of us, <laughs> and we we never really felt like there were too many. I don't know how they did it. I have six kids, and it's tricky to make sure they're all covered. But um, they were they were worked hard at um, making this a priority with them to help each of us feel valued and important and help bring out our greatest potential. But um, what this this story takes place when I was twelve years old. Um, my father, as a as as I mentioned in the book, he he taught at a university for years, and then he and then he lived in Crescendo himself and broke away from that and uh, began his own consulting business. And so he had been doing this for a few years and just getting it going. And he invited me to come to San Francisco with him um, when I was just twelve on a on a trip while he spoke. And um, he kind of had a habit of doing this. He'd invite different kids, but I was the first one because I'm the oldest. And so we live in Utah and um, Salt Lake City is a big city, but not like San Francisco. (laughs) So he told me half the fun was imagining and talking about what we were going to do on on this time away together. And so our plan was that um, he would give his speech and I would be at the hotel and just swim and just hang out at the, at the nice hotel and wait for him. And then at the end of his talk, he would come back and we would hurry and try to get, get away. And our plan was to ride the trolley cars. Um, He told me about these magical trolley cars. You can imagine in a 12 year old's mind that um, go up and down all those hills in California, in San Francisco and what that would be like. So I was just so excited. I could just envision those in my mind. We were going to ride those. And then we would uh, stop at some of the fancy department stores. And he was going to buy me an outfit for school, which I was excited about. And then we would take a cab over to Chinatown. It's our favorite food, Chinese and get um, some authentic Chinese food and then hurry back to the hotel just in time before they closed the pool so we could swim and then go up to the room and order room service and watch the late show. (laughs) So in a 12 year old's mind, it it was awesome. We had the whole thing planned and we were excited and had talked about it many times. So it was going according to plan. I was in the back of the conference room and listening to the last half hour of his talk. And then he, was making his way toward me when tragedy uh, struck. He ran into one of his college friends that he hadn't seen for years. And they were so excited to see each other and they embraced and they were talking back and forth excitedly. And I heard uh, his friend call him Bob say, hey, Stephen, you're the reason I came to this conference. I'm so excited to see you again. And Lois and I would love to take you down on the wharf and uh, get some great seafood and spend the night talking and it'd be so fun to be together and 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I can see my trolley cart going down the hill without me. And, and he, he said, oh, my daughter's here with uh, with me. And she, he looked back at me and said, oh, that's that's fine. You know, she's welcome to join us. And I thought, oh, just the last thing I want to do is spend time with some old stranger, some old man, <laughs> as I perceived it, who I don't know. And, uh, you know, I hate I hated seafood at that time. I, I wanted Chinese food. And, and I heard him say, so I thought, uh, you know, this is the end. <laughs> and then I heard him say to Bob, oh, that sounds so fun. I would love to do that with you, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned, don't we, honey? And he gave me a wink and grabbed my hand and we were out the door before Bob really knew what happened. <laughs> and we we're outside of the conference room and it kind of uh, choked me up a little. I said, but dad, that's your friend that you always tell me about that's so fun and you haven't seen him forever. And wouldn't you rather, it's fine if you want to go with him. And he said, are you kidding? I, I wouldn't miss this for anything. You'd much rather have Chinese food, wouldn't you? So let's go catch that trolley car. And so anyway, looking back on this experience, uh, it taught me a lot of things about my father's character, um, to put first things first. I was his priority that night um, to keep about trust, to keep your word when you say you'll do something about uh, relationships and what what I meant to him. And that kind of served as a as a foundation in our relationship and something I remember looking back and I'm in my 60s now <laughs> and that stands out to me. And so that was one of the principles, uh, many principles he taught me through his actions. And uh, this Live Life in Crescendo is is kind of the last one he was excited about. So just wanted to share that story. Hope it wasn't too long. <laughs> no, I I was writing, scribbling things down and, and just thinking about my own life and things like that didn't happen in my life. Yeah. That's so I, you are truly blessed. Yeah, I was, I was blessed. I try to do that with my own children, but it's, it's, it's tough, but um, yeah, relationships matter, don't they? Um, they do. And eventually you're going to realize that if you don't, if you're not taught at a very early age, eventually it'll come around and go, Oh, but you learned it early and you learned it from the most, one of the most important people in your life, your father. Yeah. That's right. And it's something that uh, in this book, Living in Crescendo, really talks about that that you can't go back and change the beginning. You can't change what happened to you uh, earlier, but you can start where you are and change the ending. That's a quote by C.S. Lewis. And so we all have the power. If you didn't have a childhood or relationships that you wanted to have, and things didn't work out for you, you can, you can evaluate yourself right there and stop and pivot and you can still be that for somebody else. It doesn't have to be, that's the end of your story. Um, this book, Living in Crescendo, as I explained in the first time I was on your show, crescendo is a musical term, which means it keeps, a crescendo keeps expanding and growing and uh, becoming louder and more powerful and with more energy. And a crescendo in your own life would be the same as comparing it to keeping keeping learning, like what you're doing in this Partner in Success Radio, you know, helping people expand their knowledge and their vision 
and look ahead and make personal changes in their careers or in their personal life. So you keep you keep growing, you keep starting over, you keep improving and doing what you can in the future. You're not stuck in the past. You don't have to keep looking, as I said in the last podcast, in the rearview mirror at what you left behind, at your past failures or successes even. But you look ahead at what you can bring about. And you're the you're the master of your destiny. You can create it if you didn't have it before. Exactly. You know what I'm finding so very important about this follow-up conversation that we're having and having the opportunity to have people, you know, send in questions and anecdotes and observations. I think that was so important. I haven't done that before. And I'm so glad it was with you in this particular book. But here's the thing. I read all the time. I'll read the back of a cereal box and I hate cereal. I don't <laughs> eat it. I don't but if it's the only thing in front of me I'll read it but here's the thing about this particular conversation we're having and it just occurred to me you can read it and it'll it'll you know stick with you but when you hear it that's something different yeah that's a good point um hopefully this conversation will ignite in and one of the questions talked about this what what do you hope to get out of this well, my father, this was his personal mission statement the last 10 years of his life, live life from crescendo, <laughs> excuse me, because, um, you know, he was he was in his uh, 70s and still teaching and, and consulting and writing. And people kind of looked at him like, well, don't you just want to retire? I mean, you're you've been successful and what else do you have to, to, why are you still doing this? But he didn't look at it that way. He felt like, I still want to contribute. I still have things inside me, ideas and things that hopefully will motivate people to change personal things in their life or to run their organization better or to improve a damaged relationship in their family with a spouse or a maybe a teenager that they can't reach or uh, to look around their community and decide that they need they need help in the in a shelter or they you know need help in education or whatever it is that you can still contribute and make a difference regardless of the age and stage that you're at in life. And so um, this idea to give hope to people, the sec the subtitle of the book is your most important work is always ahead of you. And it's always ahead of you because the past is past. <laughs> we can't do anything about that. That's gone. That's in the past. But uh, looking forward, what is it that you, as a unique and talented individual in different ways, could contribute to others? And um, you still have great and important things to do, work important work that only you can do, and especially important contributions to make in other people's lives. So hopefully that inspires um, listeners to get going on, on their unique mission. Absolutely. I, I have shared, I'm stuttering again. I've, I'll get past this. I will. That's okay. Well, I'm coughing. So okay. <laughs> I know you're not feeling well, so I'll, I'll try to keep this going. But one of the my favorite chapters, and I bookmarked it, and it's got stickies all over it. I don't mark on books with pens or pencils. I just don't. So I use sticky notes, and I use you know index cards. But 
one of my very favorite chapters is chapter eight, and it's very much what we're talking about right now. Keep your momentum going. Don't right. stop. Don't give up. Don't, you know, don't say that you have, well, you're done. You know, your job is over. You're retired. Just don't go down that road. Keep your momentum going. I love that. That that phrase was given to me by a woman that uh, sh- her husband was a great composer and he was still composing in his mid nineties, getting up at six in the morning and working for five or six hours every day. And she was contributing. She would go down to a conference center and volunteer to play beautiful music while people took tours there. And they were both so vital in their nineties. And when I was interviewing them, she, she made that observation. She said, you have to keep your momentum going. And it's it's important in every stage of life, but especially in what Jimmy Carter called in his book, the second half of life, which is maybe in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, the typical retirement age, maybe mid 60s. And, you know, society would say, oh, you've been there, done that. Now just retire to Florida, lay on the beach, (laughs) drink pina coladas, do nothing you know, take, take care of yourself. You've, you've, you've done enough. And basically if people do that, scientists have found that they die earlier because they don't have you stress in their life. Um, in, in the book, uh, my father talks about Dr. Selvik, who's an Austrian uh, psychologist who talk, says that there's two kinds of stress in your life, two kinds. And one is distress which is not is harmful stress and that causes you know anxiety and maybe ulcers and problems and things but the helpful stress is eustress uh, e u s t r e s s eustress and that is the helpful stress that you feel if you have a project to do you have someone counting on you um, you have a reason to get up in the morning <laughs> you're like your show right here you have to be on the ball, Denise. <laughs> you can't, you've got to keep reading. You've got to keep reaching out to people if you want to keep this great podcast going that, that helps people in their personal and career development. So um, you, that you stress is important. And it seems that a lot of older people, you know, buy into societies, you know, you're kind of done, you know, the, the ageism things that you're too old, you can't do anything. So just sit over here for a while. But if you look around in every walk of life, there are people in their eighties and nineties contributing to society. If they have the health to do it, you know, obviously health, health plays a big part in it, but if you are healthy and you have in you a, desire to contribute to your community then it this eustress gets you up and keeps you alive it absolutely does and one of my my favorite parts of this same chapter i mean this yeah same chapter keep your momentum going and then we'll move on to the next question is called no retirement from service even when you do retire from a job or a career you should never retire from serving i believe that right down to my toes well, that, that was one of my father's uh, big points in this area. He said, you may decide to retire from a job or career, but don't ever retire from making meaningful contributions to your family, 
to your people around you, to your community, to a cause or project that you feel is valuable and important. You've got to keep producing and contributing. And the benefit of that is it keeps you going. It keeps your momentum going. It keeps you vital. It, it keeps your mind alert and your body. And you have a reason to get up. You have purpose and meaning in your life. One of the um, mission statements in this book is by Pablo Picasso that I mentioned before, but it's a good review. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And many of us will, will do that during our careers or while raising families or in our personal life for many years. But the second half of life, my father taught that your circle of influence should increase rather than decrease. Um, most people, when they get older, a lot of people, they might become less social. Maybe they don't go out as much or maybe they don't reach out to others as much. Um, their circle of influence would shrink. But he challenges uh, during this important time of life that it should expand. And his thinking is this, when in your life have you had more experience, more wisdom, more networking, more, more connections, more um, knowledge? You've, you've taken a lifetime to get where you are in your 60s, 70s and beyond. So what are you going to do with that? Just keep it all to yourself and uh, shut down and, and live in diminuendo, stop producing, kind of come to an end. And if so, your your life can come to an end, but or you're going to uh, adopt the crescendo mentality, which is, gosh, I have so many things that I've learned and I just have a lifetime of experience and wisdom. Where can I share that uh, with those around me? How can I expand my circle of influence and lift and bless others who are struggling, um, particularly maybe a, someone that. Uh, in my family that might have an addiction, maybe a relative who's just gone through a divorce and is really struggling, uh, my community or our schools that are in need of volunteers, need of help. How can I, what can I do to contribute even though I'm, I don't have my nine to five job and keep being vital? So I think, Denise, you've, you've hit on an important one. And this actually was the reason why my father wrote this whole book in fact, at first, it was only going to be toward the second half of life people, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond. But um, the marketers told them that market was too narrow and that we ne it needed to expand in all throughout your entire life, which the crescendo mentality does and can easily apply that way. But this is the reason that my father wrote this book initially is to inspire people to not buy into society's idea that you keep working or you retire. Those are the two alternatives. And his third alternative is to make a contribution. And those contributions can honestly be as simple as sitting down and listening. Right, right. Listening to family members that are struggling, listening to a friend that is depressed and feels hopeless, um, you know, listening to um you know i don't you're right you're right listening is important being a friend being there um, helping someone see out of a dark a dark place 
I'm thinking of a man, um, and I oh, I can't remember if I told this story in your last podcast. I don't think I did, but uh, Mike Mason, who he was um, number four in the FBI at one point in his career. Did I share this yet, uh, Denise? I don't think so. I, don't I think mean, so. it sounds new to me. So keep on going. Okay. So he's uh, he was number four in the FBI, worked his way up pretty high. Sometimes you'd, I never remember this, but he would be representing the FBI on TV and things when they had a report to give. Well, he had a mandatory retirement, I guess, after so long that they, they want him to stay vital to their thinking, but he wasn't ready to retire, but he kind of had for a forced retirement and spent a couple of weeks sitting around and thought, I'm not going to do this very long. <laughs> this isn't going to work. And so he looked around him, him in the community and um, he realized that his school district was those was very short on bus drivers. And so of all things, <laughs> he puts in his application to drive a bus and the head of hiring calls him, looks over his resume and calls and says, um, are you serious about this? You've been, you know, you've been in the FBI, you're number four guy, you, you run a company after that, you became a CEO of some of some company, you've done all these things. And now you're applying to drive a bus. And he said, we've got to get past the idea that no job is unimportant. Every job is valuable. And what could be more important than helping be part of educating our children? I see that you have a, a lack of bus drivers and I'd like to volunteer. Um, he didn't take a salary for it. He he gave it back to the school district or to areas that they needed help. And he happily drove a bus. And he said to the person who was interviewing him, which I love, he said, I continue to progress in my career. Isn't that great? It is. <laughs> I didn't see it as a demotion. My jaw has dropped. I have to tell you, I don't remember <laughs> if we did speak of it. And now, of course, I'm going to have to go look him up. Yeah, Mike, Mike Mason. He said, I continue to advance in my career. He didn't see it as a step back or a step down from what he did before, but he found a way to contribute in his community. And uh, what, you know, what a contribution he made and imagine the community, how they felt having a top person driving their kids to school and becoming a bus driver. So anyway, that's, you know, that's a pretty dramatic example, I guess, but, but every, everything you can do, um, looking around your neighborhood, a lonely neighbor that a, a shut in person that can't get out that's lawn is yellowing and you know has no flowers and doesn't you know just barely existing that you could go over and and brighten their life or a struggling uh like I said you could mentor someone who admires you someone in your family or some neighbor or, or someone that you know that really could use a great mentor like yourself imagine the domino effect that you would have on that person's life as you help them find their potential and then they go out and help others. So my father was very excited about the second half of life and thought it was the most valuable time to contribute because when else do you have, you've got the most time you've ever had. You probably have more money than you've ever had at the end of your career. You've got more opportunities. Like I said, you've got more networking and social connections. You have a, great opportunity to make a huge difference and really expand your circle of influence if you have the will to do it. 
Absolutely. And I wrote down, I continue to proceed in my career. And you know what I took from that? You said it a couple of times and both times I just kept thinking to myself, his career was life. It was living life. Right. Yeah. He felt, um, he, he took from, um, Victor Frankl. And I talked about him last time that, uh, he admired him so much because he was the one that was imprisoned in the Nazi death camps. And he, uh, didn't let that, you know, he, he, he saw himself, he envisioned himself teaching in Austria again to his students about the very things he was going through. He realized he couldn't change his circumstances of where he was or what was happening to him, but he could change his attitude of how he was going to respond to that. And so all of us at any stage that we're at can, can be introspective and to say, okay, uh, Dr. Frankel taught that you don't invent your missions, you detect them. So the challenge in this book is to, to, to detect your unique and special mission that you have to help others. And what greater uh, satisfaction can you have than, than doing that for other people? And, this, and, and the book, there's many examples of that. And I'm sure all of you listening know examples of people who make deposits in your life or keep contributing despite their age or, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're supposed to be done with their career. They still have not retired from making meaningful contributions. We talked about that a bit. We were talking about Jimmy Carter, I believe, the last time we spoke. And, yes. and of course, he, his wife passed away very sadly after that. But think what you like about his presidency. The right. man and his wife were amazing humans. Well, Rosalind was every bit his his uh, equal. She, right. she uh, worked for mental health. She worked to for vaccinations, she worked for um, poor people. She she was involved in humanitarian projects right with him, and that's the legacy. Look at look at her life. She's gone now, and what did the family and people who she's contributed to those in Habitat for Humanity? Look at the contributions she's made in their life, and that's what endures. I mean, you know, her her legacy of service, of caring, of compassion. I really admire her so much and also President Carter, who who we're going to lose pretty soon as well. But what lives of contribution right up till the end? I mean, they were they were building homes a few years ago and so inspiring and speaking to people. And they are they live in crescendo right until the end. So and I would see I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I would see pictures of him with his hammer and his nails and the immense bruises all over his yeah. hand because you know as you get older you your skin just if you breathe on it you're going to get a bruise but right. i would look at him and just think why am i sitting here uh -huh. am i not doing something <laughs> for somebody you're right well you, know, you are denise you've got this podcast going that that will have a domino effect in people's lives and listeners who who maybe are in a slump or feel like they're in a midlife crisis, or maybe they've been successful and wonder, what do I do with my remaining years? You know, this I think is your unique mission and it's to, it's to help um, others find theirs. And that's one of the other questions is um, 
is how do you uh, navigate between honoring uh, my father's teachings and expressing my own voice and insights? Well, he he believes that you should uh, find your voice, find what you're good at, and then help others find theirs. And that became the eighth habit um, after he wrote the seven habits. The eighth habit is is find your voice, help others find theirs. And um, that we can all do that in in our own in our own ways and they don't have to be grand and and huge but uh one person at a time is is worth it and makes a difference it really does and it's astonishing to me how something just a throwaway comment i was in a grocery store one time and there was this woman who was standing in front of me and she was so cute she was probably in her 80s was my guess at the time uh-huh. and she was so perfectly dressed and shod and you know coiffed that I kind of looked down at myself and went "Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) you need to do better Denise but I looked and she was wearing her her nails were done her toes were done she was wearing the cutest little sparkly sandals (laughs) and I stopped her and I said your shoes are so cute (laughs) we wound up after she checked out after I checked out we wound up over by the you know where they put the buggies and we talked for a solid hour this was many years ago I have no idea if she's still living I doubt it it was one of the best times that I have spent outdoors among other people I'm an introvert I'm good with people for about 59 and three quarter minutes but she was delightful and it will always stick with me what a, what a difference that she made to you. And maybe she needed, maybe she was lonely. Maybe she needed to talk with you, you know, what I a connection know. and a great memory that you, that you had. I tell a story in the book about an uh, amazing woman named Hester Rippey, who uh, moved from Texas to actually Utah to be closer to her grandkids. And her main goal was just to spoil them and spend time with them, which is, you know, a good goal. But then she looked around her small town and found that the literacy, illiteracy rate was so high among not only children, surprisingly, but also adults. And so she, she thought, gosh, I've got all this time. And she was an on the ball woman. Sounds like that lady that you were describing. And she went and bugged the mayor and and uh petitioned the school uh the you know the the leaders of the town to give her a room which was kind of like a little closet hallway in the library so that she could start doing tutoring for reading and one student at a time she started teaching kids to read and adults some of their parents and eventually it it translated into she took over a whole wing of the library and then it became the Hester Libby Literary Center and her little 77 years and her interest in helping with reading expanded has expanded and still going into teaching thousands of of kids and parents to read and what a what a contribution when you know you just think well, what can you do when you're 77 and you're on a fixed income and you don't do much well she found a way to found a cause and what a difference she made in her in the life of their community so between her and mike mason you're proving without 
any shadow of any doubt that you do not have to sit on the front porch. Right. Look at the gold watch that the railroad gave you. Right. Not your time to go. You have so much to share. Well, Theodore Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And I just love that. It's really succinct. You know, do what you can with your abilities and with your, you know, what you feel with what you have right where you are. You don't have to go out of the country or you don't have to go for some grand thing. You can just look around you. That's increasing your circle of influence with people around you to where it spreads and it's one person at a time, it causes a domino effect. It does. And, you know, you don't have to look hard. You can just kind of, like you say, you can glance around. I saw the other day, we don't have many children in my neighborhood. It's a very small neighborhood. And if we do have a lot of children, I don't ever see them. I don't think kids go outside much anymore. That's my observation. But I saw these three little boys. One was just sobbing and his bike was down in the middle of the road. He could barely walk. He had crashed somehow. And I didn't see it, but I heard you know, the caterwauling afterwards. Yeah. And I ran outside and they were trying to get the kid on his bike, take him home. He's only three or four doors down. He's not that far down, but the kids didn't know what to do. And I ran out there and I said, listen to one of the boys. I said, put your bike up there on my, my porch. And I told the little boy, I'll walk you home. I got him home. And they came back later and they got the bike. Well, they didn't even think to do that. They were just trying to get the boy and the bike home. Right. <laughs> Somebody had to take another look at it and make a suggestion. And it yeah. was, well, it was, wasn't me being bossy. I just didn't want that kid to get on the bike and right. fall over again. Yeah. Well, see what a little thing. I mean, you know, it was overwhelming to those kids, but yet, you know, so you able to help and see the, perspective of what you could do and I'm sure the parents were grateful I would have been grateful to you if I was their mother and and what a you know a small little thing that you did that that helped somebody really bless their life well and it was no big deal but I did have a bag of figs on the door after that so I'm assuming <laughs> that's what that, they was, that was your thank you <laughs> I think so you just never know this is a question from me and yeah. as an author, what was the most rewarding part of writing Live Life in Crescendo? And what do you want and hope that readers will remember long after finishing the book? Um, it was very rewarding for me to finish this um, piece of work and these ideas that my father started. And if you read the book, in the end, um, I tell about our own family's journey in Crescendo and three things that kind of happened to our family. If you, you know, everybody has struggles. Sometimes people look at other families and think, oh, everything's great with them and they don't have any worries or problems. And that's not true. Everybody has their own struggles and challenges and we definitely have had ours. And um, uh, my father and I began this book together um, he asked me to find the examples and stories around the world of people that live in crescendo and to kind of, he basically said, write the book, take these ideas that I, that I have, and I'm working on some other things. And if you can write it. And so we, we worked on it together for a few years. And then um, he, I tell in the, in the book, how he developed front tempo dementia. I mean, it was crazy here. They say, if you use your mind, you won't lose it. <laughs> well, he was speaking and 
teaching and writing up to the end. But, you know, sometimes health things, problems happen and a lot of things are hereditary. And I don't know, he got this, he got this awful disease. And so you live in crescendo until you can't do it anymore. And that's what he did up until the end when he, when he couldn't anymore. But he had a great desire. He kept saying to me, you know, how's the book coming? And, and, um, and I, so after he passed away, <laughs> um, due to an accident later, partially because of his disease that he had, um, I knew that he wanted to have this finished and it took me 10 years to finish it. <laughs> I, I have six kids and lots of grandkids and I'm involved in my church and my community and active participant, a lot of different things. So it, it's hard to write a book. Denise, I've, I'd never done it before. I'd seen examples in my family, but it took me 10 years. And the motivation was that I knew my father wanted this to get out because he felt like it was such a hopeful and inspiring idea and that it would um, that it would resonate with people if they really looked at deciding to live in crescendo versus diminuendo. And so that was my driving force. I could feel him on my back just saying, finish the book already, <laughs> as I was writing till two in the morning sometimes and and wondering, you know, am I going to ever get this published? Is this going to come out? And, you know, self-doubts creep in and, and a lot of challenges in different in different areas writing it. But I I had a goal to get it done. I stuck with it. I could have. I could have shut down. I could have stopped. And I, I knew I had to finish it. And I really felt I had a vision that that it would be a powerful concept and that readers and listeners like yourself and your audience would would benefit from it. So that kept me going. And I felt great. I know that my father's thrilled with that and, and um, have great satisfaction thinking of, of that, especially when it became published by his by Simon and Schuster. I kind of sold him with the idea. You published his first book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now finish, now finish, now publish his last. <laughs> and this is his last lecture, so to speak, his last contribution. Although I can't really say that because it's still going on. I mean, here I'm speaking about it and the effects of, of his work are still continuing in crescendo. So anyway, I think that was the 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 greatest thing to me to to get this out uh, on his behalf because he wanted to share it with the world and he felt as, as passionate about it as he did the seven habits, which is, has sold 40 million copies. So I don't think we're going <laughs> to, you know, I don't know. You never know, but uh, you know, his, his contributions are still coming in crescendo. <laughs> they are. And you know, you mentioned something earlier about you stress. Sounds like you very much had you stress. You I want, did. I uh, had I had a lot of you stress, but that was good. It got me up. It got me. I, I had to get. I had to finish, and I wasn't going to let anything stop me from finishing it. Even though I got discouraged sometimes, and it was tough, but I just kept my goal in front of me, and I it it it, it worked out. I had. I think I had some heavenly help too. <laughs> oh, no doubt. And let's continue this this kind of part of the conversation because you're talking about doubt that it will be the final chapter. I I do too. And one of the questions, this is number eight, was with the Covey family legacy being rooted in principles of personal development and success, how do you see the younger members of the family who may be you know quite young still, you have grandchildren, engaging with and learning with this 
learning from this rich heritage. Right. Well, we've made an effort in our family. As a, as I, I said, I have six children, but I'm the oldest of nine kids, and so uh, there's there's 55 grandkids. Oh, <laughs> I'm thinking family reunions. Yeah, it's, it's a little really crazy. interesting. Yeah, that's why my parents got a bigger house when they were older because they had to. It was for their their extended family and. My my parents wanted a place where cousins could become best friends and could be good influences on each other and family heritage could continue. And uh, we don't have that home anymore, but um, we have made the effort. We all have been assigned. We kind of got together as siblings, nine of us, and we took on different things we wanted to continue. And um, and that and one of those is that we um, about every quarter we get together. And we um, have kind of a, um, I don't know what to call it. It's like a, a nighttime conference or a, we, we get together and we invite a guest, kind of like what you're doing, to speak to us. And we learn from each other. Many times um, our, our own, you know, my brothers and sisters have been the speakers on some of their things that they've written about. But just recently, we did it on the seven habits <laughs> and we had uh, our, the younger members of, in our family have a book club and they meet together, the Covey cousins, and they took on the seven habits and um, they divided it. My daughter was in charge of this one and she assigned different, different habits to different cousins. And then they were presented to each other, these ideas because some of the younger ones weren't old enough to remember when my dad was younger and, you know, when, when he was teaching this material and they know about it, of course, but maybe not as in depth as the siblings do. And so um, anyway, we still continue to um, teach each other some of these ideas and to keep the traditions that my mother started with our family and different things that are important to us with you know, we we'll, we'll all go. We have some a uh, couple family cabins that we go to that keep our um, family together, and things that are important to us. We've decided not to let go just because our parents passed away, but we want to keep the legacy of service and contribution and relationships, especially going, because we feel like um, that we can encourage and help each other and bring about a lot of the things that my parents taught during their lives. And so that's a great question. Hopefully our Covey family legacy is continuing through um, these activities and our getting to get our get togethers, which are very important to us. It sounds like it's very carefully thought out and very carefully crafted. So your legacy is not going anywhere. I'm telling you, I, I remember listening to my grand, one of my grandmothers in particular, and she would tell the most wonderful stories. Unfortunately, she didn't have dementia, but she was, her memory was getting a little bit iffy. And she would repeat the same stories over and over, which drove my mother mad, but I loved them. <laughs> and I wish now that I had recorded them. Yeah. Hindsight's a tremendous thing, isn't it? Right. And we're lucky that we have my dad's um, books and his voice on audio. You know, his he's got, you know, you can listen on Audible. In fact, when I go walking, sometimes I'll put on Seven Habits or First Things First or one of his other books. And it's like he's right there. You know, you can you can still have them. 
And uh, many of our activities that we do as a family, since we're so huge, this is living in crescendo. They're funded from the proceeds that come from seven habits still. It's still ongoing. So that keeps us, enables us to get together financially and do some trips and do things together, which that's still contributing to our lives. So that is a great blessing uh, to all of us that we're, we can continue. An amazing start. You have, you have had truly a blessed life with parents who were clearly very, very wise. Well, we hope we've, we've learned from them. And we, my dad always said with, with great opportunities come big responsibilities. And so we all have been instilled with that, you know, we need to, we need to contribute to people around us. And that's one of our goals to keep, keep serving. So I know other families do different things for service. And I think that's an important thing to emphasize in your family, that it's not just about us and pat each other on the back and, and just do things together. But we gotta, we got to look around at the greater good and see where is it can we help in our, in our community and in our, in our circle of influence. This isn't a question that's listed. We're going to share those on the blog later on, but it just kind of popped into my head and I wanted to ask you when you're talking with your siblings and some of the, I've got, you know, your brother's book and I am fully aware of what, you know, Covey does. I really am. Cause I've been watching your father's work for a very, very long time. Was there any point that one or more of you said, I don't want to do this. I can't imagine there would be, but <laughs> you know, well, everybody kind of chose their own, you know, different careers and things. There's a couple of my brothers that have, have worked for the company, but, um, you know, all of us have kind of, you know, done our own thing too. And, um, these, these principles of, of, um, first things first and win-win and, um, begin with the end in mind, be proactive, all of those, all of those seven habits are applicable in in every in every part of life in any career or any choices in your family and and so um yeah i think um one of your questions talked about the the seven habits how do you integrate those with this new principle of living in crescendo well it just expands this is just continues in crescendo to all these seven habits can um, are definitely applicable with living in crescendo because it's about what are you doing now? Uh, Martin Luther King said the most important question you can ever ask is, you know, what are you doing to contribute? What are you, what are you, what are you doing now to serve other people? And so just to look outward and, and um, keep going. I think we've all had a chance to, find our own way and different things that are important to us. But um, I don't know, we, we enjoy being together and, you know, we're normal siblings. You, you have disagreements or you have little things that, that uh, come up like everybody, but our relationships are more important than those issues. And you can get, you know, it's more important to, to care about the relationship. And we all, that's our number one goal with, with all of us. So we continue to get together <laughs> And that's important. It really is. I was the oldest of nine kids, five and four. My There was five of us in the family and four married into the family. Wow, that's great. No. It, was, it wasn't. <laughs> yes and no. I was the only introvert in a group of very large, 
loud, <laughs> boisterous. People, wow. To this day, I st- when I hear too many voices, I still just kind of go, Bleh, I can't stand it. <laughs> but as we got older, we got smarter and wiser about how we interacted with one another. But it took some doing, I'll tell you. Yeah. We didn't have the foundation that you do. I wish that we had, but we didn't. But I know now how I want to live my life. So there's that. That's good. Like you say, you can't you can't change the beginning, but you can you can change the future. You can change what you do going forward. And it sounds like you're, you know, made an effort or are making an effort in your relationships there. And it can it can be better than it was before, you know. That's, oh yeah. That's, that's as it. as we grow older and allegedly wiser, yeah. we do tend to be better people, I think. But you know, when you're young and you're you have no idea where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, what's going on. And let's face it, teenagers are sociopaths. And yeah. I'll work with <laughs> so, it. Life was, time. <laughs> yeah, uh, it probably was a bit more difficult than it needed to be. <laughs> you learn, you learn from, you know, these experiences, no question. What mm-hmm. I want, there's a question in here too. It's the third one on the list. Can you, it says, Cynthia, can you share a specific lesson or piece of advice from your father that has had a lasting impact on your life and is reflected in your book. Yeah, the, there's, well, there's so many of them in the, in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I shared that, um, you know, you may retire from a job or career, but never retire from making meaningful contributions in every stage of life. Another one that is powerful to me is, Life is about contribution, not accumulation. And that's the opposite of what society tells you, that it's success is measured by your home, by your prestige, by your name, by your money, by things that seem, you know, powerful and influential. But um, but your life, like the, like the Carters, is about contribution, is about what are you doing for others? Martin Luther King's question. Um, it's about contributing rather than accumulation, because as we've seen, you can't take it with you. <laughs> you can only you can only leave those contributions that you have made, and you take with you relationships and things you've learned, but uh, you know, and the powerful things you've done, the contributions, but all the things that society says are important, they 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 go with you. <laughs> And so that was a that was a big one. Life is about contribution. Another one is um, life is a mission, not a career. And that's well, let's talk about that. I remember that. Yeah, Yeah. that was my my uh, great grandfather, my father's grandfather, who was a successful lawyer and businessman, community leader and church leader. Um, He he taught him that life um, is a mission, not a career. And he said that powerfully impacted him in his decisions of what he was going to, what path he was going to take. And as I mentioned before, he made, my dad and mom made a decision when he was in his fifties, kind of in the middle of his career at a university where he was stable and had an income and insurance and and uh, had nine kids and decided to that uh, he felt he could do more. He felt he could reach more people with some of these ideas. And they decided to break off from that and to start his own own business consulting and writing, which was a leap of faith. And they they had to put 
their home and they, we had we had a family cabin small cabin that they built they had to put that in hawk to do it <laughs> and um that was a that was a leap of faith but something that he felt um he, he still had more to contribute and so um he believed that it's not about just about your career i want to find my unique mission like his grandfather taught what is my mission and he decided it was to help unleash potential. And uh, that's what he wanted to do, potential in other people. I mentioned in the last uh, podcast, his definition of leadership is, uh, leadership is um, inspiring. Uh, let me, I'm just blanking out on how exactly he said it. Um, is leadership is seeing another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And that was kind of my father's, what he felt was his unique mission. And so he built a career around it, but his mission mission was the powerful thing to help another bring out others' worth and potential so that they could see it in themselves. And so um, I think that was one of the best things that he that he taught me and our family is to help find your unique mission. What are you about? What can you what can you do with your unique gifts? And uh, to focus more on that instead of like, I just want to be successful and make a lot of money. I want a job and a career that can bring me prominence and money and fame. Uh, that may come as a side note of this, but it necessarily may not. There's many people that we all know that you would say are very successful in their personal life, but they are humble people that have never made a lot of money and most people wouldn't know their name, but you still would say that person is, is successful. My father's definition of success was being successful in your most important roles of life in life, in your family, in your community, as a humanitarian, whatever you view as your most important roles being successful in those is it was his definition of success. Did he ever falter from this or was this just how he was born? Uh, it, it wasn't easy for him. He, he struggled. Uh, he didn't get this book, seven habits, which, which kind of put him on the map. He, he uh, didn't get it published right away. In fact, you always hear about those rejection letters. Our family found a bunch of we we have tons of boxes that uh, we had to go through after they passed away and and um, my sister found like fifteen rejection letters from big powerhouse uh, publishing companies that are probably eating their heart out right now <laughs> that, that said things like uh, we received your manuscript Seven Habits of Highly Effective People we don't see any value in this there's nothing new here. Ouch. <laughs> And then another one, um, you know, thank you for thinking of us. There's a lot of leadership books like this. So we are passing on this, but good luck. And I mean, just hilarious things that you think, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, you know, it's been translated into 30 language, 30 something languages. And like I said, it's still selling. It's still uh, for years, it's still been in the top 10 or at least the top 20 in personal development books. And um, so, you know, he didn't get it published right away. Simon and Schuster passed on it uh, a couple times and he finally inspired his agent, um, Jan Miller, to uh, write 
um, seven reasons why you should take the seven habits. Oh. <laughs> and the third time <laughs> was the charm. Is that letter available? I would love to read that. <laughs> the seven, uh, the third time was the charm, and they took it, but it didn't. It wasn't an overnight success. It took it took a few years to get going, and so, you know, it wasn't just magical and easy for him. Um, and as I said that, you know, he left a secure job and went out on his own to do this. And so it took, it took perseverance and kind of how I had to write my book. <laughs> I just had to have faith and belief that what you were doing was, was right and would pay off ultimately. And, and, you know, it did, he, he, you know, he would speak somewhere and he would get about 10% of bad reviews, criticism, you know, too, too personal, too spiritual, too, too preachy, whatever, those would be the criticisms, you know, um, uh, 10% of the people, maybe, maybe not that many, but wouldn't like it. And he just had to be secure. And I feel like I'm sharing some leadership ideas that are universal and resonate with people. And, it, you know, eventually it did. So I don't think his path was, was easy, but um, it, he kept fueling it by his desire to unleash potential in people and growth and help help people improve their lives despite life-changing experiences and uh hard back upbringings you know childhood that weren't happy and and things that happened uh to people in the past to just stop looking in the rearview mirror and keep looking forward and and keep trying to improve and change and eventually that has has been successful so Anyway, just hoping to encourage other people. If you're stuck in a rut, you're in a midlife crisis, or you had a just a recent divorce, or you've had a business fail, or you feel like your family's falling apart, or you feel lonely, you've got to you've got to practice the first habit and be proactive. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. You're not a product, my father taught, of your circumstances, but you're a product of your proactive decisions. And so it's up to you to change this, change your stars, make it happen. <laughs> and bring Just about write that down, product of, of your own proactive decisions. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, not a product of your circumstances. Right. Cynthia, we, our hour is just about up and I'm actually quite upset about that. <laughs> I love chatting with you. I love the book. And I've said that many times all over the internet. It's really one of, I have maybe a top 10 list of my favorite books that will always live with me. This is in that list. It's in the top 10. I wanted to ask you, because I know you're getting ready to leave the country. Yeah. You are living in Crescendo. So we'll talk (laughs) about that a little bit. My husband and I are trying to live in Crescendo (laughs) ourselves. Uh, We, you know, one of my goals was to um, finish this book, as I was saying, it took 10 years. And my husband had been working at IBM and he's, he's left that job now. And so we are thinking what's next, looking ahead. And we have a service opportunity for our church and we are going to be going to Scotland and Ireland for 18 months um, to hopefully do some good there (laughs) to serve. Uh, We'll be there, like I said, 18 months and leaving our six kids and our multitude of grandkids, but hopefully this will be a good thing for them. Um, My father believed that your children and grandchildren should see you doing things that um, 
have value and contribute and not have it just be all about yourselves and your own family. And so um, we are, we're going to go on this adventure <laughs> and we're excited about it. And it's just something that we've always wanted to do. And now's the time the book has been out uh, for since uh, September, 2022 and I'm going to take a break from it and uh, go in this different direction with my husband. So we're excited. <laughs> I, I hear that. I hear that in your voice. And of course, these days, you don't have to wait for postal. That's right. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I shipped a package to my niece the other day. And I remember standing in UPS saying, I don't love anybody that much. It was $75 <laughs> for a 13 pound package. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. That that yeah. was one final Christmas <laughs> that is over. But, you know, these days you've got Zoom. We've got oh, phones. You're not yeah. going to lose track or, you know, That's contact with any That's of them. True. We, we can, we've got FaceTime. We've got Zoom. Our youngest of six kids, just they're, uh, he and his wife just had twin girls that are just uh, seven months. And so, we're uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, gosh. I hope they remember us. They'll be running by the time, you know, they pick us up at the airport, but we're going to, we're going to FaceTime. We're going to zoom. We can talk and do as much as we, we want with our family. And like you say, you don't have to wait for uh, snail mail <laughs> to, come through to get the news from the family. So I think it'll be good for our kids to see us contributing and being about other things than just ourselves. So Hopefully it'll be a good experience. And and have you ever been to Ireland or Scotland? It's, it's no, <laughs> but those are two of the countries that I absolutely want to spend some time in. I've always thought that they were just stunningly beautiful and their history is amazing. Yeah, they're a beautiful country. So it'll be an adventure. We want pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I go on I, Christmas, I told my husband I need a new iPhone with a better camera. Do and you need to post them on social media so I can go. Ooh, I'll be all over them, Cynthia. I know we're running out of time, and I I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate your company today and the last time we spoke, and spending time with you has been a distinct pleasure and honor, and just so much wisdom that I'm just cramming into my head. So before I let you go, would you mind sharing your online presence? If you have one, I know you're not yeah. real big on social media right. and your preferred means of contact for those who wish to learn more about you or read the book. Right. I just have simplified into if people want to contact me through LinkedIn, just under Cynthia Covey Haller, that's my number one go to right now. And I'm happy to answer a question through there or or to contact me through that. That would be great. I, I, don't, I don't do as much social media as I probably should. And maybe I know I'll be doing it when I leave because I, I need to keep in contact. But um, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. So I appreciate that just under my name. Perfect. And listen, everybody, Christmas is coming. It's not that far away. And if you're looking to give you know, a meaningful book to family, colleagues, business, you know, your company, grab this book. Go get this book because it is an important part of my entrepreneurial library. And I truly believe it could be an important part of your entrepreneurial library. Cynthia, thank you so much. Do you have any final reflections before we, we wrap up? Um, you know, I think we I think we covered a lot of it. I'm just the challenge to to choose every day to to choose, be conscious of what if you're living in crescendo or diminuendo, if you're deciding big decisions or you're thinking what's next 
or you have a setback, a, a challenge that we all have throughout our lives, how are you going to respond to it? And just to be conscious of choosing the crescendo mentality, the, that perspective or paradigm of, of um, handling it. And if you do, I feel like your life, uh, my father believed that your life would be more full of purpose and meaning and that you will be you'll be happier and live longer and uh, feel like you have purpose and reason to get up every morning. You've got some good use stress in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Mer Merry Christmas to everyone and hope you have a wonderful time with your family and your friends this season. Thanks so much for having me, Denise. Oh, it's my pleasure, Cynthia and safe travels. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. I will. And you too. And listen to the audience as we conclude today's episode. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your feedback means a lot to me. If you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes because your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your partner in success radio, excuse me again, with friends and colleagues. And be sure to find Cynthia Covey Howler on the web and connect with her. And thank you for tuning in. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.